what might happen is that you might fall off the stairs and break a leg and then you will uh, you will remove all the progress that you have been doing for mm. months or years and you have to stop he basically just took a screenshot and he sent it to me and he told me like should i fire you and then i realized okay this is this is, this is serious i need to fix this I grew up uh, watching who's going to become a millionaire. You know? Yeah, of course. <laughs> and, and this is the kind of ideas that are in the back of your mind while growing up. Um, and let's say it takes it takes a lot to unlearn. The company doesn't own your LinkedIn account. You do. Okay. So use it to your advantage. So the real question. Will AI replace marketers and content creators? The three most harmful addictions are heroin, carbohydrates, and a monthly salary. Mm. And this quote resonated with me so well uh, in my life. Do you have a monthly salary right now? Yes, I, mean, I, have, a, <laughs> so I have a monthly salary. I'm addicted. <laughs> Here we are with the Learning Founder Podcast, the newest episode with an amazing guest that we have. This show is where we chat with amazing entrepreneurs and industry innovators who are always seeking to improve themselves and their businesses. Today, we're super excited to have Suhaib Al-Badawi on the show. Suhaib, did I pronounce your last name correctly? Perfectly. Perfect. Okay, perfect. Great start. <laughs> Suhaib is an aviation engineer turned growth marketer who has achieved incredible results in the scaling uh, in scaling products and building audiences across both corporate and startup environments. What's even more impressive is that he's made a career switch from engineering to marketing and has successfully rocketed multiple growth programs. So Hype's journey has taken him from Khartoum, Sudan, to Cairo and now to Madrid, and he's building his personal brand and successful one-person business. He's also the author of the LinkedIn Playbook, a guide to turning your LinkedIn profile into a money-making machine and sponsors the Growth Tribe newsletter, which reaches over 5,000 subscribers. So, Haib, we can't wait to dive into your story and learn more about your experience and insights. Thanks for being here with us. Let's start with a very simple questions. How are you feeling today? Amazing, Yusuf. I mean, excited to be uh, on the podcast. Um, I've, uh, I've listened to actually... Uh, one and a half episodes of the podcast so far and the the quality of the the, the conversations have been really great i'm i'm very happy to hear about it like that and hopefully after this episode you will continue the other half of the episode <laughs> so you've you've had a very interesting and diverse career path from aviation engineering to growth marketing can you tell us a bit more about your journey and how you ended up where you are today well, it's uh, it's uh, it's quite interesting uh, in the sense that uh, I I could have never planned it that way. Uh, basically, I graduated as an aviation engineer, started working uh, as an aviation engineer for a while, and at the same time, I was uh, teaching aviation engineering students in aviation academy. So I was kind of stretched out. I was extremely ambitious, so I stretched out myself doing these two jobs at the same time. 
uh, and eventually I burned out or I, I realized that I could not do uh, this forever. I found myself, you know, looking for another path and applying for a different job. I was lucky to, to move into an aviation organization where I initially had a job in the business development area and then transitioned into um, marketing. And I just found myself really in, in, in marketing and customer experience. I really loved the, the, the idea of creating uh, compelling concepts of uh, persuading uh, customers and leaders of, uh, you know, achieving uh, goals of organizations and people at the same time. Uh, I'd like to think of it as the, the intersection between you getting what you want and the company getting what they want and marketing just in any sense. What an introduction. <laughs> that is really deep, man. I did not know about your kind of experience with the burnout, you know, and overworking. What made you, do you think, the main points that made you burn out back then? I think, uh, I, think I, was, I was extremely ambitious. And uh, one, of, one of the things that I've learned over time, Yusuf, is that uh, you, you cannot jump the stairs. Okay, you have to take the stairs uh, step by step. In my mind, I always wanted to cross all the steps way faster than, than, than others. Uh, and in my mind, you know, working uh, so hard would be the way uh, to do it. But I think with time and with age you, and with, you know, the wisdom of the other people that you meet who tell you about life, you get to understand that, you know, no, you're better off taking taking it one step at a time, because what might happen is that you might fall off the stairs and break a leg, and then you will, uh, you will remove all the progress that you have been doing for mm. months or years, and you'll have to start over. So if you could give an advice to your fresh graduate self from Khartoum, you know, excited to go kick the ass of the world, you know, like conquer everything, becoming rich, find love and all of these things. What would it be the advice that you give now as a wise old self? <laughs> I, I would say, uh, I would say, uh, take it one step at a time and uh, understand that it's not about, uh, it's not about intensity, it's about consistency so uh, the way to to win or to progress in life is not uh, working 24 hours every single day for a short period of time but it's rather working one deep focused hour a day over a year or years mm. uh, because the consistency compounds to 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 create an empire or to build something unimaginable why the intensity can break down or can break you down at any moment. Tell me more about the empire that you're currently building. Um, in the past, I used to believe that uh, exactly what you said, I want to conquer the world. I want to become mega ultra rich. Uh, and over time, actually that, that perspective changed. 
Uh, for example, uh, right now, I mean, I have a full-time job. I'm also uh, working as a growth marketing consultant for a couple of startups, and I'm creating content on the side. And during this period of time, one, I realized, okay, I have a decent income because I have different income stream. But at the same time, I realized that the thing that I want the most isn't actually money, it's time. Mm. And this is where now uh, my goal is to, uh, you know, build my whole life around uh, a business that is mine to enable me to, to have freedom. And uh, the word freedom is too big, uh, but my definition is very simple. I want to only work on what I love with whoever that I want, whenever that I want, and from wherever that I want. Mm. This is super interesting because it, it catches up again to one of my previous episodes that I spoke with Tuong. Uh, she's, she has like a kind of Vietnamese background, but she grew up in, in the West, right? And she also shared that the values that she grew up with is different than what she found out that actually makes, makes her happy and what she has to optimize for in her career. So what you had just mentioned is the freedom, right? The, the ability to work from anywhere, anytime, you know, you are your own boss, basically. And I think because we grew up in kind of a similar environment. I grew up in Jordan. You grew up in Sudan. So it's like kind of a similar environment. This was not the main priority. True, 100%. 100%. I think it's, it's, uh, it's also, it has to do with, uh, with the mainstream, uh, mainstream media. Uh, for example, I, I, uh, I grew up uh, watching who's going to become a millionaire. Yeah, of course. <laughs> and, and this is the kind of ideas that are in the back of your mind while growing up. Um, and let's say it takes, it takes a lot to unlearn. Yeah. So how did you unlearn it? Like, was there like steps or was it natural for you? Well, I think one, it's the, the, the personal life experience. So it's uh, mostly it's me, you know, uh, working, I don't know, 15, 16 hours a day and then realizing that Okay, yeah, I mean, I'm, 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 I'm making a decent amount of money, but this is not what makes me happy. What makes me happy mm. actually being able to, to, to have a decent income while, uh, you know, having the freedom to do the things that I love. So this is one. Two, also, I think it's related to the quality of the work you consume. You know, referring to information. There were a couple of eye openers in my life. Uh, one of them was a quote by Nassim Taleb. He says that the three most harmful addictions are heroin, carbohydrates, and a monthly salary. Mm. And this quote resonated with me so well uh, in my life. Do you have a monthly salary right now? Yes, I, mean, I, I have a monthly salary. <laughs> so I'm addicted. addicted. <laughs> I'm addicted. No, but I I get what I mean, hundred percent. Yeah, because you you get comfortable, right? You get uh, used to having something every month, and then you have to start thinking about the next priorities in life, right? Like the the um, what is it called? The um, pyramid of priorities or something like that. I, I, I don't remember the name. 
But yeah, basically, must okay with the highlight. Exactly. That's why you're a guest on this show. Thank you. <laughs> 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 yes. So basically, yeah, like if you have a salary, then and you're not satisfied, right? You're not kind of like your soul is still seeking something else. Then you start thinking about next stuff. So like I finished my life at five, which it, this is the life that I'm not very happy with. Now between five and, you know, the next day, I need to have something that really makes me happy, that really makes me, you know, make it worth it. The whole success. And this is wrong. Like this is, it shouldn't be like that. One thing, one thing I've, I've also noticed because I, I, I am, I mean, we're all humans. We as humans, we are more influenced by the herd mentality than mm. what we think. Okay. Uh, so, uh, you know, if everyone around you is doing something and, uh, you know, you want to do something different, it's extremely difficult. It's like, uh, I could sit here and tell you, oh, uh, you need to go and do X and do Y. But I know I could, I could, because I've experienced it myself. It's extremely difficult because it's not easy, you know, going against the norm. Mm. Because by by default, or I don't know. I mean, I think we are hardwired in a way that uh, if we're doing something that no one else is doing, this is bad. This is wrong. This is why uh, a lot of lot of the extremely successful people or successful entrepreneurs. Uh, Still, still face the, the idea of imposter syndrome. Yeah, hundred percent. I don't think it's related to them and their abilities. I think it's related to you know, them going against the norm at the back of their head. Their mind is saying, "Yeah, but not everyone is doing something different, so it must be wrong." Don't you think this is also related to the culture that you grew up in? Like some countries or some cultures are easier to take, you know, the independent path, and some others are. Less, I guess. I think, yeah, yeah. I mean, for example, in my family, um, actually, I think my grandfather was was a kind of an entrepreneur, but not an entrepreneur in in, in the the. He was an innovator, let's say, innovator or pioneer. Uh, actually, it. I mean, I wouldn't also call it that. It's it's a very interesting concept. So he was, uh, so he was a farmer. He had his own farm, uh, but at the same time. He was a tailor. So uh, he would wake up early in the morning, take care of the farm, have lunch, and then after lunch, goes to his tailor shop and actually tailor, let's say, pants and jalabias for mm. four people. So it was. So for me, at the beginning in my life, I really couldn't understand this, you know, this concept or this idea of him, you know, owning two things and doing the two things at the same time. While everyone else in my family is employed, mm. he was a hustler, I guess. <laughs> you can call it so. I mean, so you got the workaholic genes from him. Uh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe. That's actually that's something for me to take back and think about. Yeah, I'll give you an example. My father never did a job where he had a, a boss. Oh, okay. Right? He had some periods of like of, you know, working on the side or something like that, just for some extra cash. But most of his life he spent he himself being the boss because he had a shop, right? He used to sell cars and then you don't have a boss. You go there whenever you want. I remember like throughout my childhood, he, he was always there for lunchtime. 
And, you know, in my life right now, I'm like 27. I've never had a job or anything that I was able to be free in, in, in lunchtime and go home, you know, for an hour, have a nap and then go back. Like, this is the life. I want that. <laughs> this is freedom, my friend. Yeah, exactly. Freedom is to go home, have lunch, you know, have a nap and then go back to work. So you're on a journey to build a one million personal brand and one uh, kind of one person business. Can you tell me more about this journey for you to accomplish this goal, let's say, that you have? Okay. Um, also, I mean, in, in, in a matter of uh, honesty uh, with, uh, with myself and with you and with everyone, uh, I'm still figuring it out as, uh, as I go. Uh, basically, the uh, the idea started with me trying to one share my journey and two share uh, what I have learned uh, on my journey so far. That was building uh, a kind of uh, an education business, a business that is helping others build and uh, monetize their personal brand. Uh, so far, uh, on this journey. One, I mean, I, uh, I've built a newsletter, so Growth Tribe. Uh, two, uh, uh, because actually because of the, the content that I've been creating, I've been getting a couple of clients that uh, want to get either coaching or consulting services for uh, content or personal branding. And I am doing this, but I haven't yet uh, formalized the, uh, the whole, uh, stack of services that I want to, to provide for others. But for now, one of the ideas that I am working on right now is the idea of changing actually the mindset of people uh, on social media um, to transition from thinking about getting 100,000 or 1 million followers into getting only 1,000 true fans. Mm. And this, this, this transition is, is basically because I actually did some, some research and I found a lot of uh, creators or founders who actually have a very small or very handful number of followers or fans, but actually they are making uh, a ton of money mm. because of the fact that they just don't have followers. They have fans who are actually buying or who are actually contributing to their business. Yeah, the number of likes does not give you money, right? Exactly, exactly. Uh, I, I will I will get back to this, but I would love to give some more context of how we met. I, I'm very happy to call you a friend, even though we never met in person, right? Basically, we've been, let's say, connections on LinkedIn for a long time now, maybe one or two years, something like that. And the best thing about Suhaib or the content that you create that it feels that it's a human behind it and you're not just doing it to sell or to flex that you can do things better than others and this resonates with me so much I, rem I still remember the first talk that we had after like months of knowing each other on social media it just felt like we know each other right like because I've been following your content and maybe you've been following mine so you already see that this is a person you would like to be connected with and maybe become a friend with. And then I also remember when you first started your Twitter account, 
because I also have Twitter, but I don't use it at all. So I remember, you know, like following you on LinkedIn and then you switching to Twitter as well. And this was maybe less than a year ago. Uh, am I correct or wrong with the date? Yeah, yes, I mean, I, I, start, I started, I started, I think, in, uh, on, in July in LinkedIn. And then August, I started on Twitter. So just like keep in mind these timelines, now he has 23,000 followers on Twitter. And I think around 15 on uh, LinkedIn, correct? Yeah, I, I don't want to mess you up on everything you said, but it's 28,000. 28, exactly. Then you can see like in, uh, in less than a year, in seven months, he was able to create more than 40,000 uh, followers in overall both Twitter and LinkedIn. So you're doing something that works, right? And on top of that, it's not just the number because a lot of people, they just buy or they just, you know, keep pushing the trends and then there's no human behind it. There's no soul behind the content. With the things that you create, every time I try to learn and try to, you know, replicate and try to keep up this kind of human and personal brand. So with all of that said, give us some tips that are too good to be free. <laughs> okay, so one thing before, I mean, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to circle back a bit. When I started, let's say, uh, creating content on LinkedIn, uh, for me, to be honest, it was very difficult. I actually, I've never, you know, worked on LinkedIn at all as a platform. Like I had, I had some work, you know, with some companies and individuals on Twitter, like as a marketer in the past, uh, on Facebook, on Instagram, but LinkedIn never. Mm -hmm. And actually, you are one of the people who, uh, who, who inspired me to, because I was getting very bad results at the beginning. And it's normal, like any platform. But you are one of the people who inspired me to, to actually keep going. Because I, I, I saw one, it's exactly the same. Because you also, you are one of the people who had an extremely genuine content. On LinkedIn, like you really like yourself, you and that's why you said, or that that's why the feeling is mutual. I feel like I know you because your content is really a representation of you, and this is one of the things that uh, that I always uh, that I always talk about, even within you know my personal branding ideas, is that uh, being yourself. Is the thing, the only thing that no one can beat you up. Mm, it's your superpower. Exactly. It's your superpower. Yeah. So I had to highlight this item for the, the, the tips. I mean, I don't know. Do you want, uh, um, do you want tactical tips or let's say, uh, what, what are you looking for? Let's assume I have 500 connections on LinkedIn. Okay. Okay. And I don't create content. I just follow. I like, I repost sometimes. What would be the best tip to start and increase, you know, let's say my my uh, virtual presence, my digital presence? If I if I could give, I would give maybe uh, three tips. Okay. Uh, tip number one would be one: uh, you will need to identify your goal. So what is your goal? Are you looking to uh, to to find a job? 
Are you looking to, you know, to provide the service and, uh, or are you looking for, you know, connections? So usually it hovers around these three. Okay. And then based on which one of these you want, you will want to uh, position yourself as a person who would help someone out of these to achieve a goal. I'm going to give you an example. Um, let's say I am looking for a job. Okay. And uh, I want to help. I'm a marketer. I want to help companies, let's say, increase their revenue by 20 or 30% in a period of X number of days. Okay. Uh, the best way would be for you to, to, to do that is to reflect it on your LinkedIn headline. Why the headline? Because your headline is the place that 85% of the people see. So before they land on your profile, before anything, they see your headline. And this is actually what captures their attention. And my advice for the headline, and there are multiple formulas, but the formula for someone who's looking for a job is to put their current job title and to put uh, a kind of a social proof with numbers that shows the results that they have achieved. For example, and so high level library, uh, head of growth marketing, uh, scale products and services to X number of dollars during this X period of time, very specific. Okay. And then if you want, you can add a call to action saying, connect with me for marketing gigs or uh, send me marketing if you want to know more. This on its own uh, is a game changer. I mean, I, I've been, uh, I think so far, I've consulted with maybe five clients and among all the things that we have done, just fixing the headline really changes the game. I just want to add a, uh, a small example from my experience regarding this. When for a brief time, I was also kind of doing branding consultancies. Um, the, the best thing that worked for me, it's 100% aligned with what you just shared regarding the headline. I had a very, very small catchy phrase there, which is uh, on a path to humanizing LinkedIn or on a path to humanizing the internet, something like that. It's a bit cheesy, right? It opens so many freaking doors. Like really like the, the clients that I then started working with, they just connected with this goal that, you know, the content out there is a bit, you know, either generic or boring. So you want to create content that it feels it's written from a, from a human to a human, right? So that, that fits a hundred percent with your advice. So, okay. You said three tips, no? Yes, the goal. There's, there's, yeah, yeah. You, you were like uh, <laughs> cheating on us a bit. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, actually, the, the, I have one, uh, the last one. Okay. Uh, the last one is actually related to creating content because I've, I've worked with a lot of clients and they're always, oh, you know, but LinkedIn is where my boss is around. And I always say this one line your company doesn't own your LinkedIn account, you do. Okay. So use it to your advantage. Uh, Create content that is also revolving around your goals and exactly what you said, make it human. Don't try to uh, copy-paste what other people are doing. Just do your own uh, kind of 
uh, Corky. Again, the same thing happens. For example, if you're looking for jobs, you know, share. Uh, if you if you read anything about marketing, share it. If you learned something on the job, share it. If you have a question, ask it. And this is how you 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 uh, you become uh, one. You attract opportunities to you because you increase the chances of people running into your your content and interacting with it. Two, and this is something that I start that I did at the beginning. Actually, think of LinkedIn as your journal or your diary. Just document things there. And actually, one time. It, and it, hap- it happens to me, actually. Sometimes, like, I learn stuff, I post it on LinkedIn, and then with time, I forget. I go back to it just because I wanted that piece of learning, not just not because I, I want to read my content. No, I, w- I wanted that piece of learning because I forgot. Uh, so, yeah, these are the three tips. Uh, a bonus. Oh, uh, bonus tip. Okay, I was yeah. not expecting that. Uh, if, you, if, you, if you go to my, uh, my profile, so Haibal Badawi at LinkedIn, uh, you will find on on uh, on my main link. There is a link to get a top one percent uh, LinkedIn profile. Uh, you can download the LinkedIn playbook. It's free, um, and uh, it's extremely visual. It's only less than twenty pages, so very fast for you to go through it and to actually apply it to to get a really really great profile for free. Amazing, and I will add also the link um, of the playbook, your or and also your LinkedIn account in the description of this episode. Now, going back a bit to the human part, right? The best thing that ever happened to me about you know having a LinkedIn account that really represents who I am. Of course, it has downs as well. It has like down down downsides as well, right? Which is Maybe you're not pushing content that sometimes is seen as meaningful by others, by not everyone at least. Because, for example, if I'm having a shitty day and I write that, you know, this is also life. Sometimes you have a shitty day. Some people think like, but this is LinkedIn, it's not Instagram, right? Or it's not like Facebook. So why you put these things? And I understand that, like that's a criticism, but everything has ups and downs. But the best part of having something that really resonates to you is the fact when you text someone, you almost don't have to introduce yourself on LinkedIn. So you have a connection, for example, with Suhaib. And I go and I text Suhaib. They will clearly know who I am, what I do, and maybe why I do it. And also, you know, really, they can either love me or hate me. But at least they know who I am. I don't have to do any sales pitch. This is the best feeling when I ha- when I connect to someone and they can already feel like they know me. Like really, I- if I could replicate this in any social media, regardless of the number of followers or the number of likes, because if I connect with 10 people and these 10 people, I can go there at any time and ask them for help or ask them for an advice. And I don't have to sell them anything or you know pitch myself or anything like that. This just makes your resources almost infinite i mean i think uh, linkedin is a is a professional environment extremely professional like so the quality of the people are are way up high and uh, for example one of the differences uh, between linkedin and all the other social media platforms is that in linkedin 
you cannot have a episodium, so you cannot be, uh, I don't know, you cannot be or the Yusuf, the, uh, you cannot be the human creator. No, it has to be your name or your account cannot be uh, a personal LinkedIn account. Mm. Uh, unlike Twitter, for example, where you have someone calling himself uh, wisdom and someone calling himself three times stronger. So you, you don't have these things. Uh, you don't have these things in LinkedIn, which really directly connected to the human aspect. So. This person is a human, one. Two, uh, the thing or one of the things that differentiates LinkedIn is that people are on LinkedIn in a mind for business. Mm. It's not like they, they, they're, they're coming around to consume memes or reads. No, no, no. They, these people are serious people. They're professionals. They come here to help others generate business opportunities, connections. They are not here to play around. Mm. Uh, and these these are the things that and the third thing I would say there's a ton of money on LinkedIn like unlike any other platform because this is where the professional people are there's a ton of money on LinkedIn yeah and I feel like there's also this feeling of responsibility basically that whatever you do it will kind of come back to you because first of all like you said you're you have your real name, your almost real identity out there. Second of all, you might have your hiring manager following you, right? Or your boss or maybe your your colleagues. You cannot just go there and start, you know, you abusing it, saying, you know, bad stuff about other people or something like that because then it's clearly connected to who you are. It's not like Twitter where you can have like, uh, you know, a fake account or Facebook or Instagram. And then you feel like this is not going to catch up with you so you can be just, uh, you know, an evil person. Yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, it's an extremely professional environment, yes. Cool. So next question that I'm very interested in. You've lived in and worked in different countries, including Sudan, Cairo, uh, Egypt and Spain, and maybe others that I don't know about. How has this ex- international experience impacted you and your personal and professional growth? Well, this is an extremely interesting uh, question. So Jordan, uh, United Arab Emirates, Cairo, Spain, Singapore. I mean, I've lived in a couple of, I've lived in nice. a of places. Okay. Uh, and uh, all I could say is you suddenly becoming more curious, okay, about others. Two, you accept culture more and you respect culture more. Because I've realized, like, over transitioning between all these countries, I've realized that culture is extremely strong. Like, it's stronger than law. It's, it's stronger than, you know, logic. It's, it's extremely strong. And over time, you also realize to respect this, which changes you as well. Because when, when, you, when you live a whole life in a place, you develop values and, let's say, culture aspects related to that specific place and then when you move it to the first place you get a shock and then you move it to a second place you learn okay ah so this thing is different from the three other things and then when you move to the fourth place you start actually connecting the best things or the things that you think that resonate with you from uh, from all of these different cultures actually i think you you end up becoming a different person mm. but do you let it change 
everything in you or you have some part of you that has to be the core no of course i mean you have you have you have some essential values that you uh, you cannot uh, cannot change because uh, you know you you'll end up with an identity crisis but a lot of the things that actually you never thought about or you never imagined would really come and feed into your personality and i'm going to give you an example i i burned out i was an alcoholic uh, not alcoholics, I work alcoholic, mm. and uh, I burned out uh, on the job and stuff. And one of the things that I actually got to learn here in Spain, because I mean, the people in Spain, or what people say about the people in Spain, is that they are lazy. But when you when you when you look deeper into it, no, they are not lazy, but they have this understanding that they don't live to work; they work to live mm. and this is why like they have this priority shift of i was not brought into life to work i was brought into life to live and you know work is helping me live so i'm gonna do my job but the main purpose is not the work the main purpose is to live mm. and this is this is something for example for someone like me who's a workaholic uh, has extremely balanced my view. I mean, I'm still, I still work a lot, but it's still somehow balanced or uh, sometimes like, you know, I'm extremely tired. Uh, uh, I shouldn't be working anymore. And the past me before moving to Spain would say, no, you have to continue working while the new me would say, no, but you, you're not here to only just work. You also have another part to, to take a break. Mm. When you go back home, do you still feel like you're fully part of that culture, part of that community, or do you feel also a bit an expat there? Uh, okay, so this is, this is a very deep question. Yusuf, I think you're asking the right question. Uh, <laughs> Welcome I, to the Learning Founder podcast. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think you're asking the right question. Uh, there's a book okay, called uh, The Season of Migration to the it was written by a Sudanese guy called uh, Altaib Saleh. Actually, Altaib Saleh is a representation of me and you. So the people who have, uh, you know, decided to go out, explore, see the world, uh, do things different. And it's 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 a novel, but he tries to describe his situation of him, you know, leaving the country, uh, living in Europe, in the state, and then coming back to his village. With his, uh, with his European wife. And then, you know, going, actually experiencing, uh, you know, the life of his uh, hometown uh, while he is no longer the same person, he's a different person. Because this book, I read it before, actually, before going on this journey in my life. And I've recently read it again after a conversation with a friend. And it's finally resonating. And all I can say is, uh, you are not the same person anymore. Okay. So you are not, uh, you are not the typical person uh, from the country. But you, you become an observer. I mean, in my heart, I will always be Sudanese. This will always be my country, no matter what. But you, you become an observer in the sense that in your own culture now, you look at things. You don't see, you don't see things happening. You stop, you uh, reflect, 
you evaluate and you even ask questions like, why are we doing this? You become a part of different cultures. Of course, this is like so deep for me as well on many different levels. Like for you, maybe it's easier f to feel like you belong to the Sudanese culture. But for me, it's a bit even more difficult because I have both. I have two cultures. My mother is Italian and my father is Jordanian. So I have like, and now you're smiling. Maybe you did not know this fact. <laughs> where, 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 where do you see yourself? Like, Yeah. So basically that's what I was saying. Like, it's very difficult to feel like you belong to a certain place because you see both values. Like you see the Western, they have some good values. And then, you know, Middle East, we have also some good values. And always like my whole life has been traveling. My whole life, since I was like five years old, I started, you know, every season, like kind of season traveling. Season in Italy, and then you try to forget that you're Jordanian. And then a season in Jordan, and then you try to forget that you're Italian. And it's been like a constant conflict of personalities, of identities. Until when I was 23, 24, that when I was 22, uh, I graduated from Jordan and I moved to London. Okay. Now, this has been the biggest blessing on my, of my life and not for any professional or, you know, like some kind of uh, tourism purposes. No, it was for me discovering the true Yusuf and the true values that represents who I am, right? For example, like religion, okay? Like uh, this has been one of things that when you think about Jordan, you think that people are more religious there. But I was not like doing any religious stuff, like I was not praying or anything. And then when I moved to London, I had this huge identity crisis, huge. Like I was trying to fit in with the people there, you know, going partying, going all of that stuff. But then when I reached home, I would feel like I'm empty. This is not right. This is not me, right? And then like step by step, I started rediscovering myself. So the identity crisis, then I realized that when I go home, I always thought that people were changing, right? Like, ah, but they were not like that. Like they were different. But then I realized I was changing. It's not people like maybe people are changing as well, but you are changing a lot by the people that you intervene with and you act with. Like the, the very small example, like when I go to Jordan every time and I sit with some of my friends in the car, I'm very surprised, like, why no one puts seatbelts? Like, it's so, like, simple, right? And then I tried to change them, right? I tried, like, put seatbelts, man. I'm not moving the car if I'm not putting... And then there's always this kind of conflict that, ah, you just came up from the West, you know, you're going to change our lives. You're... And this kind of conflict of identity at the end made me realize that I don't fit in any. Like, maybe I fit in the Jordanian one more than the Italian one, but then when I moved to Denmark, now I fit into a bit of Danish culture and then a bit of Jordanian culture. And, and then when I moved to Spain and then I moved to UK and, you know, so at the end of the day, you have to fit with yourself first. You have to understand what are your values, what are your, you know, who really makes Yusuf or Sohaib or anyone who really makes that person. If you find those things, then you can add on top of that. But if you, like you said, like you compromise the core values that you have, then you're going to replace who you are with someone else that you might not be, end up happy with, right? And this is the most interesting part that I've discovered 
I thought that if you had values, people are gonna either judge you or you know like avoid you and and stuff like that because you know you're you're different than them. But what I discovered with with a bit of age and you know a bit of experience is that this will make people respect you and maybe resonate with you so much more if you're clear about your values, who you are, what you care about, and you know, and just try, of course, be open, be friendly but then have some limits. Like this is something that really, really like changed my being outside of my comfort zone in Jordan, you know, with your friends, your family, and you're just like everyone else. Now in a country where you're not just everyone else, it's still fine. It's actually sometimes better, to be honest. Wow. Oh, I mean, I think, I think Yusuf, you, you articulated it perfectly. I think, You know, I mean, your situation is way more complex than, than mine, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm blessed to have had this experience growing up, even like intermixing, inter-exchanging, you know, religions as well. Because, you know, like my Italian family are Christians, right? But then, you know, my Jordanian family are all Muslims. So growing up, going to Italy every summer when you were a kid, I always felt like I was kind of either an imposter or like I was doing something wrong that I had to defend myself, right? And that is fucked up for for a kid. Like you should not feel like that. <laughs> But now, like now I'm 27, and it makes everything makes sense, right? Yeah, I mean, I I, th I think actually no, these experiences made you uh, exceedingly mature, uh, you know, compared to your age, really. Yeah, let's let's take a, a different uh, you know side now. Let's go back to Suhaib. And I, this is one thing that I need to fix in myself that the, the people that I invite, I'm so interested in that then it resonates to my life. And then I start speaking about myself. But no, it's about you. So it's no, no. I mean, uh, Yusuf, I, I always, okay. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if you, this is something that I learned over time. Okay. So the best, the best business deal is a conversation. The best interview is a conversation and the best date is a conversation it's a two-way it's never you know one person asking no actually it's it's amazing because of the conversation yeah i i like that i will start using it in the future as a as an excuse <laughs> <laughs> cool so you've mentioned that you made some maybe mistakes or you know something that you would change along the way in your career maybe could you tell us about some mistakes that you've made and you've learned from and maybe oh, so we can avoid so, in the future so so many mistakes I mean, so many, so many. Uh, I mean I, I I guess I guess yeah it's actually something that I, I've been conscious to uh, to I've been writing about but I never got the chance to organize it and share it this is something I've been always thinking about sharing uh, because I I truly think that not enough people are sharing uh, their mistakes and what they have learned Um, for me, uh, one mistake number one, I think we talked about trying to jump the ladder, trying to uh, buy it more than you can chew. Uh, this is this was a huge mistake. I burned up as a as an aviation engineer. One, two, for a long period of time at the beginning of my career, my problem was I never wanted to say that I don't know. Mm. And this really create a lot of issues for me and actually kept me away from a lot of learning 
Because when you say, I don't know, um, you know, with people around, the one who knows will tell you the information or will guide you. Or when you know that you don't know, you're actually going to actively seek knowledge in order to know. Mm. When you, 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 you forbid yourself from saying it or you're too proud to say it, you will never learn or progress in life. Uh, so this, this was uh, a hard learning. Three, I never took care of my uh, personal branding. Actually, the reason why I started this whole fiasco is that, or like to build my personal brand, was the fact that I was working with a startup founder on growing his startup. And then he found my old Twitter account. So it's, it's the same Twitter account, but it was old. So it was a picture of me, you know, a, a very random bio about some teenage stuff. And, and he basically just took a screenshot and he sent it to me and he told me like, should I fire you? And then I realized, okay, this is, this is, this is serious. I need to fix this. And then this is where I started creating content on LinkedIn and then you know, fixed my Twitter and so on. So this is also something extremely important. And I mean, I just started taking care of my personal back in 2022. And it opened so many doors. I mean, I got to meet so many amazing people like you. I'm on this podcast because of this. Imagine if someone did this at the beginning of their career. 100%. This is my number one advice to any student. Start while you're a student. You have so many interesting stuff happening in your life. You're going to events. You're going to, you know, group activities. You're If you just posted these things on LinkedIn or Twitter or Instagram, by the time you graduate, you're going to be an influencer. I mean, and, and, and they don't have to be an influencer. Actually, I, I did I, I did the math about this in a post. And then I, I said that if you, for 10 years, if you post a post every single day and your chances were one in a million to get your dream, whatever it was, a dream job, a dream startup or whatever, if your chance is one in a million, it's going to happen. So it's exactly, I mean, to what you said, if you're a student and you started posting for 10 years, it will come to you. Yeah. Whatever you, whatever your dream is, will come to you because you just, uh, you, you interacted with so, you increase your luck surface area so much that during these 10 years, it, it has to happen. So going back to the human part, and I told you I will go back to that. <laughs> now there's AI, right? Yeah, yeah. So the real question, will AI replace marketers and content creators? I, okay, I mean, the way, the way I see it, and this is something that I, uh, that I said always, uh, AI is just a tool, okay? Uh, if, you, if you know how to use it, you will get ahead. It will help you with the job. If you don't know how to use it, uh, I think over time you'll have a hard time competing with uh, with others. But uh, AI will never replace you know, the creativity of, of human. AI will uh, will never replace the first order thinking that you have as human, which is we, why we are different as human, because we think about thinking. For example, Yusuf, you're working on a startup and then you have a problem or you have an issue that you need to solve creatively. Before you even think about solving the issue, 
you will think about how are you going to think to solve the issue. And this is called first order thinking. And this is something that uh, the machines cannot do. It's a, it's a, it's a gift by God. Uh, and it's also a mix of our emotion or our psychology and our brain power or processing power that enables it. Because yeah. we are conscious of what we do. Conscious, exactly. And how are you utilizing AI at the moment? How is this impacting your life and your career? One of the biggest jobs that a marketer does is actually one, talk to to these kind of people. You, mm. you can find, you know, if you know someone, if you if the company has customers that are represent this uh, persona, talk to them. And mind reviews, so go and read reviews about products similar to the product from that target customers. Um, because one, you want to understand the emotions that they go through. You want to understand the events that happen in their life. And you want to understand uh, the, the words that they use. Because these, this is your market. Mm. Now, one of the things that AI helps with is that research. So I could simply go to ChatGPT and write a couple of specific prompts about specific persona. And ChatGPT will give me uh, a lot of uh, ideas curated from all over you know, the, the web uh, that can shorten the time that I would use to go actually and research all these pieces bit by bit. I, I agree with you. I think the brainstorming part is one of the biggest you know, advantages where I am still not sure in the writing part, it does not fit me, to be honest. Like whatever, still like maybe I, I need to give it maybe five or six or 10 posts that I write and then tell it to write in my own style, but it never captures my real emotion. Right. I think it, it, it's also, it's also related to what you said earlier, like, uh, sometimes you're really feeling down and you want to post about it. Uh, and this is like, you know, your, your own emotions into, into your writing. So it's it's kind of difficult for uh, for AI to to mimic mm. to mimic this. Cool. One more question that I love asking. You know, maybe I haven't like I need to start asking it more on the podcast. What is one thing that you always wanted to learn but haven't had the chance to do yet? Uh, to be honest, I think it's uh, it's uh, coding. Mm. Uh, um, I, I, I'm planning this year to, to, to do something about it, like to learn the, at least the, the basics of code. Um, and I've, I've, I've never got around to it, but I think it's a must now, uh, just because of the simple fact that, uh, I work with, I mean, I, in a lot of cases, I, I, I go into, into meetings in those startups with developers. And I tell the developers, look, this is what I want. And I, I'm an empathetic person. I would really like to understand, okay, when I say this, actually what goes behind it? And this is where I need to, I need to understand. Yeah. And also from, I, I feel the same. Like I've been postponing this and try, you know, I tried three different occasions, you know, putting my full focus on coding. The main reason for that is I hate to be ignorant. But, you know, it's fine if I could at least understand what is the efforts that are needed to create this. I don't need to create it myself, right? But at least understand that if I'm telling someone, please help me with this, 
really I need to understand if they're telling me a week is that is that realistic? Is that too much? Is it too short time? Because I need the basics, right? Yes, yes, and and uh, and also like I think I think the times that we are coming in, I think uh, it should be. And this is also th- something, Yusuf. I mean, uh, I really wish that, uh, well, I really hope that one day, uh, you know, the education system will will truly evolve. And I truly believe there are a lot of things that should be taught at any school in the world that is so far from being taught uh, right now. And I think the basics of coding is one. What is next for Suhaib? Well, um, one, uh, one, I am working already growing the, the newsletter to become a world-class newsletter. I'm re- this is like one of the biggest goals that I have. I want to really provide as much value as possible uh, in my newsletter uh, for growth time. And two um, uh, is uh, building a kind of a... A number of products that are going to help people uh, turn uh, their personal brands into profitable uh, businesses by uh, attracting, converting their true fans. So I'm working on uh, on that. And three, by the end of this year, and it's the goal that I have, I have to quit my full-time job. So yeah, this is the journey. Inshallah. This has been one of my favorite episodes so far, honestly. Like, um, I think the vibes and the learnings and, you know, the humbleness, the openness that you shared with us is really priceless. And I would love to have you again in the future and specifically talking about more the education side that you just mentioned, because I know that you have so many learnings in that, how you self-educated, how you you know, learned all of this stuff. You're you're a proper lifelong learner. Thank you again, Sohaib. Yusuf, it was really a pleasure being with you on the podcast. Uh, I I enjoyed every second. Thank you. Habibi, take care. Take care. Bye.